0: Welcome to Unveiled Faces, a Redeemer Presbyterian Church podcast. Please enjoy our future presentation. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but the Bible never quotes anything Joseph said. The Bible never quotes anything. Joseph said. Through all the interactions that Joseph had with the angel, with Mary, with the shepherds, with Simeon and Anna, we do not read a single quotation from Joseph. The closest we come to being told anything that he actually said is in Matthew 125, which tells us that he named Jesus, Jesus. So as it pertains to Joseph, the pattern in the gospels is to tell us that the Lord spoke to Joseph through an angel. And then we read that Joseph did what the angel told him to do. In other words, the scriptures show Joseph always responding to God in obedience. And maybe this is why the Holy Spirit didn't see the need to record Joseph's actual words actions speak louder than words. Joseph's actions effectively communicate everything you and I need to know about him being a a man who lived in obedient submission to whatever the Lord told him to do. Our sermon text provides three examples of Joseph responding in obedience to the Lord's instruction. Three times. Three times the Lord sends an angel to speak to Joseph, and three times we're not told anything that Joseph said, but we're told what Joseph did. All three times Joseph responded to the Lord in obedience. The first time was when the Lord spoke to Joseph in verse 13. Arise and take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. The second time is when God said in verse 20, arise, take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who sought the young child's life are dead. And the third time is in verse 22, when Joseph was heading back to Israel, presumably back to Bethlehem, and the Lord told him to turn aside into the region of Galilee and settle there. What I want you to notice is uh, about the instruction that the Lord is giving to uh, Joseph is that it has to do with responding to threats and danger. It has to do with responding to threats and danger. The Lord is telling Joseph how he should lead his family in situations where there are threats and dangers to his family. And you'll notice that the primary action the Lord tells Joseph to take is to flee. Now throughout history, God's people have often been faced with the decision to flee or not to flee. The situation might be that of severe persecution such as what Jesus was facing in our sermon text. His very life was being threatened. Or the situation might be in the form of moderate persecution, such as the Jews were experiencing in the book of Nehemiah. Uh, Sanballat and his associates ridiculed the Jews reproached the Jews, attempted to confuse the Jews, and tried to bring political opposition against the Jews to prevent them from rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. Or the situation throughout history, the history of God's people, might have been even milder forms of persecution, such as when Jesus warned that people will say all kinds of evil things against you falsely because you're His disciple for no other reason than because you're his disciple. They're They're gonna speak falsely about you, accusing you of things you've never done. Or when the Apostle Paul said that people defamed him and threatened him as if he were the scum of the earth. It's a milder form of persecution. Sometimes the situation God's people find themselves in involves civil laws and restrictions that prohibit God's people from worshiping God The way God requires us to worship Him. This is what uh, the, the situation that Daniel was experiencing. And this is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were experiencing. Sometimes the situation that God's people find themselves in is that we are surrounded by a sinful and depraved society. This was Lot's situation. Lot lived in Sodom, which was an exceedingly wicked town. Lot chose to live in Sodom because he thought it was a good career move. The wages were higher in Sodom. But while his bank account was growing, his family was falling apart. And Second Peter 2, verses seven and eight say that Lot's righteous soul was tormented and oppressed every day as he witnessed the filthy conduct of the wicked people that he lived around. These are just some samplings of the type of situations God's God's people often find ourselves in. And when we contemplate our response to these situations, one of the primary questions we need to consider is whether to flee from these situations or stand steadfast in these situations. What I want us to recognize this morning is that there's not a one size fits all resolution to these situations. Sometimes the right thing to do is to flee, such as we see Joseph doing here in our sermon text. Other times the right thing to do is to stay and passively resist whatever the the situation is, such as what Daniel did, passive resistance. Stay put, passive resistance. And still other times, the right thing to do is to stay put and actively resist, such as Nehemiah did. So how do we know what the right response is in any given situation? How do we know whether God would have us to flee or not to flee? That is the question. As it so often is the case of this question is determined by the application of principles we derive from God's word. As we carefully examine the scriptures, we can identify biblical principles that apply to fleeing persecution and tyranny. And we can also identify biblical principles that apply to staying put and resisting persecution and tyranny. It's through the application of these biblical principles That we can make informed decisions about how the Lord would have us to respond to the specific situations we find ourselves in. What are these biblical principles? Well, let's begin by harvesting some of the low hanging fruit. Let's begin by identifying a few of the easy and obvious principles that we derive from the scriptures. The first is that fear is never a righteous motivation to flee. Fear is is never a righteous motivation to flee. We can identify this principle from two well-known passages in scripture. Romans 8, 15 tells Christians that we have not received a spirit of bondage to fear. We have not received a spirit of bondage to fear, which we understand to be telling us that we must never be controlled by fear. We must never live in submission to fear. We must never be ruled by fear. Similarly, the second passage is 2 Timothy 1, verse seven, which tells us that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So rather than making decisions that are based in fear, the Christian must make decisions that are established in the power of God, that are established in the love of God, and that are of a sound mind, the sound mind that we have in Christ Jesus. That's where the Christian is to operate and function in relationship to fear. The 11 disciples provide us with an example of sinful fleeing that is based in fear. The 11 disciples give us an example of sinful fleeing that is based in fear. When Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane, a great multitude came out with Judas, the chief priests and the elders. Uh, There was a brief dialogue between Judas and Jesus. This is when Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. And then there was the incident when Peter drew a sword and cut off the, the, the ear of the high priest's servant. And then the mob of people, Armed with swords and clubs, laid hold of Jesus and arrested him and carried him away. And Matthew 25, 26 verse 56 says that all the disciples forsook Jesus and fled at that point. All the disciples forsook Jesus and fled at that point. They were fleeing out of fear. The disciples fled because they were afraid. And in so doing, Matthew tells us that they forsook Jesus. They abandoned him. They stumbled because they were responding according to their fear. Fear, brothers and sisters, is never a righteous motivation to flee. A second principle that's obvious from scripture is that we must never flee to avoid suffering. We must never flee to avoid suffering. The Bible makes it very clear that we've been called to a life of suffering. Second Timothy 3.12 declares in no uncertain terms that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Do you, brothers and sisters, desire to live godly in Christ Jesus? If your answer is yes, then know that you will suffer persecution. Philippians 1 verse 29 asserts that it has been granted to us by God not only to believe in Jesus, but also to suffer for his sake. This is granted to you by God, to suffer for Jesus' sake. Psalm 34, 19 says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. And Romans 5 verses 3 through 5 teaches us to glory in tribulations. Not run away from tribulations, but glory in tribulations. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope never disappoints because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. These are just a few of the many, many passages of scripture that make it abundantly clear that Christians are called to a life of suffering. So to flee a situation, to avoid suffering, is to deny our calling as Christians. In, first, uh, in, in John 15, verse 20, Jesus said that a servant is not greater than his master. If Jesus suffered hardship and persecution, then who are we to think that we should not suffer hardship and persecution? If Christ had to suffer and he's the greater, then why would we, the servants, think that we wouldn't suffer as well? And the third principle that's obvious from Scripture is that biblical love for the people of God will compel you to persevere in performing difficult work on their behalf. Biblical love for the people of God will compel you to persevere in performing difficult work on the behalf of the people you love. We see this in the statement Jesus made about the hireling, In John 10, verses 12 and 13, Jesus said that the hireling is a kind of quote-unquote shepherd who is unwilling to invest in the difficult work of caring for the sheep. He's unwilling to invest in the difficult work of caring for the sheep. The hireling will stick around as long as things are easy and going well. But as soon as the wolf begins to attack and scatter the sheep, the hireling flees. He flees, brothers and sisters, he flees. And Jesus said the hireling flees because he does not love the sheep. The hireling only loves himself, which is why when trouble and persecution arise, his only consideration is to take care of numero uno. So he flees. So we see that fear is an unrighteous motivation to flee. Trying to avoid suffering is an unrighteous motivation to flee. And failing to love the saints is an unrighteous motivation to flee. But what are some of the reasons why a person should flee danger and persecution? What are the principles we can use to determine that fleeing is a righteous response to a particular situation? And looking at our sermon text, you might think that it doesn't provide a lot of help in answering this question. After all, the Lord spoke to Joseph through an angel. If we had the privilege of an angel telling us exactly what the Lord wanted us to do, then we would be able to act with uh, the level of confidence that Joseph had as well. But But how do we act with that level of confidence when there's no angel telling us what the Lord wants us to do? Once again, this is where we draw upon biblical principles. God has given us principles, not just for knowing when it's wrong to flee, as we've already seen, but also for knowing when it's right to flee. And these principles are contained in scriptures and are given by inspiration of God and are profitable for making you complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. And don't overlook the truth that the Holy Spirit dwells within you, brothers and sisters. He guides you into truth and reveals the mind of Christ to you. He gives you understanding of the commands and principles in the scriptures. And when you set your mind upon the things of the Spirit, you will walk in paths of righteousness, which is to say, God has equipped you with everything you need to respond to life situations with the same degree of confidence as if an angel had declared God's will to you. So let's look at our sermon text to see what we can learn in the way of biblical principles for righteously fleeing threats and dangers. And once again, I call your attention to three principles. Because I've already given you three principles, for the sake of clarity, I'm gonna label these next three as principles four, five, and six. The fourth principle which is the first principle of the second three. The fourth principle is that when the Lord wants you to flee a particular threat or danger, he will not only tell you what you are to flee away from, but he will tell you what you are to flee toward or to. We see both of these components in verse 13 of our sermon text. God tells Joseph to flee away from Herod, and he also tells Joseph to flee into Egypt. I submit to you that if you think the Lord wants you to flee away from a particular situation, then you should have clarity on where the Lord wants you to flee to. In other words, if you do not have clarity on where the Lord wants you to flee to, then you probably should not be fleeing yet. Uh, It's probably premature to conclude that the Lord wants you to flee. The idea that God would have you to flee away from something but not know what you're fleeing toward is difficult to support from Scripture. Consider a few biblical examples of this principle. After describing how the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil and how some have strayed from the faith and their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6.11, but you, O man of God, Flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Notice that both of the components to flee are in this, this one verse. Paul is telling Timothy what to flee away from, and he's telling him what to flee toward. Timothy is to flee away from the love of money and all of its trappings, and he's to flee toward righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Something very similar was written in 2 Timothy 2:22. 2, the apostle writes, "Flee away, uh, flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the on the Lord out of a pure heart." And once again, Paul is telling Timothy what to flee away from and what to flee toward. Timothy is to flee away from youthful lusts and he's to flee toward righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. Or consider the Lord's command, Jesus' command to flee in Matthew 24, verse 16. Jesus tells his disciples that when they see the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place, they're to flee away from Jerusalem and to the Judean mountains. Jesus didn't just say, when you see the abomination of desolation standing in a holy place, just get out of Dodge, right? Run in any direction. Just so long as you're running away from Jerusalem, that's where all the bad stuff is gonna happen. No, Jesus was specific about where they should flee to. He told them to flee to the Judean mountains. That's where the safety is that the Lord had proclaimed for them. Consider how implementing this principle would prevent a lot of Christians from making regrettable mistakes. A woman's marriage is in shambles. She's lost all hope that things can ever get better, and so she wants to flee from her marriage problems. If all she's considering is what she's fleeing away from, then she can justify practically anything to herself. God wants me to be happy. So I need to get out of this unhappy marriage. God wants me to be loved and I don't feel loved by my husband. So I need to get out of this discouraging marriage. God wants me to be provided for, but my husband isn't a good provider. So I need to get out of this insufferable marriage. Or consider the man who wants to flee from his job but he doesn't have another job to flee to. My boss is a jerk. I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna take this stuff from him anymore. I'm gonna walk right into his office and tell him I quit. Or consider the teenager who wants to flee from his parents' authority and their oppressive rules. He knows what he wants to flee from, but what is he going to flee to? Does he want to become a law unto himself, accountable to no other human beings? Does he want to share an apartment with his other buddies who are fleeing from their parents' oppressive authority? Or does he want to move in with his girlfriend? Is it uninhibited fornication that he's fleeing to? When we slow down long enough to identify what We would flee toward before we begin to flee. It goes a long way in helping determine whether fleeing is really the Lord's will. If the woman who wants to flee her from her marriage problems has determined that she's going to flee to the council of her church elders, then that lines up with the word of God. Uh, She can have a lot of confidence that the Lord wants her to flee in that particular way. Uh, But if she wants to flee directly to the divorce court, then she's gonna have a very difficult time trying to justify that as the Lord's will for her. The man who spontaneously quits his job is probably fleeing prematurely at the best. It might be that the Lord is using that job to sanctify him. And so it's the Lord's will that he not flee from his oppressive job that he remain in that situation while the Lord works on developing godly character in him. Or it might be that the Lord does want him to flee his job, but only when he has another stable job lined up to flee to. So by working through this principle, this man can avoid making some regrettable mistakes. Likewise, the teenager who gives consideration to this principle can avoid some regrettable mistakes as well. There's no legitimate way. Let me say this with the utmost strength. There is no legitimate way a teenager or any other person can conclude that God wants him to flee his parents' authority if he intends to flee to a place of sin. If he intends to flee to a place of sin. But if he thinks his parents are truly being oppressive and he's willing to flee to the council of his church elders and to submit to the counsel of his church elders, then that's a situation where he can have confidence that he is acting according to God's will. Maybe his parents are being oppressive with their authority. Maybe his father is provoking him to wrath, just as Ephesians 6, 4 says fathers should not do. By fleeing to his church elders, the teenager is seeking assistance from the very people God has vested with the authority to help in those situations. And if the father is truly provoking his son to wrath, then the church elders can deal righteously with that situation. So the fourth principle by which we can increase our confidence that the Lord wants us to flee is to identify what we are fleeing away from, as well as what we are fleeing toward. When both of these things line up with the Word of God, it suggests that fleeing might actually be a righteous response. A fifth principle that we see in our sermon text concerns each person's ministry work within the kingdom of God. And when I say ministry work, I'm referring to the work the Lord has called each person to perform. This includes the type of work we typically think of of as formal ministry work, such as being a missionary, an elder, a deacon, or a member of a leadership team in a parachurch ministry. And this also includes the type of work we typically think of as general ministry work, such as being a husband, being a wife, being a father, a mother, a son, a daughter, a church member, a witness in your neighborhood, and so forth and so on. When threats, dangers, or persecution cause you to consider fleeing, you should consider how fleeing and not fleeing will impact your ministry work. Two options. How will fleeing impact your ministry work? How will not fleeing impact your ministry work? In the situation in our sermon text, fleeing was the righteous option because Jesus needed to continue living for another 30 plus years in order to perform perform his ministry work. Put differently, Jesus' ministry work was not compromised by fleeing to Egypt. It would have been compromised if he stayed in Bethlehem and was killed by Herod's goons but it was not compromised by fleeing to Egypt. And so in this case, fleeing is, was the righteous thing to do. Likewise, when Jesus sent his disciples to preach the gospel throughout Israel, he warned them that he was sending them into danger. He said in Matthew 10, verse 16, "'Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves.'" But Jesus also told them that when they're persecuted in one city, they should flee to another. So in consideration of this this fifth principle for knowing when it's right to flee, the, the disciples' ministry work did not require them to stay in the same city the whole time. They could move from one city to another city and still perform their ministry work. So fleeing from one city to another city was a righteous option. It's the option Jesus commanded them to perform. But consider the situation Nehemiah was in. Imagine if Nehemiah said, it's too dangerous to build this wall. I'm gonna flee. I'm gonna go back to being the king's cupbearer in Babylon. It was much safer back in Babylon. And I was respected there. No, (laughs) no. Given the nature of Nehemiah's ministry work, that was not an option for him. Nehemiah understood that God had put it in his heart to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. And the Lord confirmed this calling to Nehemiah through some providential affairs that clearly displayed the hand of God. So if Nehemiah had fled from Jerusalem before completing the wall, he would have abandoned his work. Fleeing, therefore, was not an option for Nehemiah. It was not an option because it would have been detrimental to the ministry work the Lord had called Nehemiah to perform. Daniel was in a similar situation. Fleeing was not an option for him because it would have been detrimental to the ministry work the Lord had called Daniel to perform. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in a similar situation. Fleeing would have been detrimental to the ministry work the Lord had called them to perform all of the above were willing to suffer whatever dangers and hardships befell them while performing the ministry work God had called them to. They were willing to die before fleeing from their uh, their ministry work and fleeing in order to achieve personal comfort and safety. And this is what the writer to the Hebrews was referring to at the end of chapter 11, when he wrote about the faithful saints who were tortured and yet refused to be delivered. These faithful saints were willing to be imprisoned in chains, sawn in two, slain with a sword, live in caves, destitute, afflicted, tormented, because of their commitment to the Lord. Even though they had the opportunities to flee away from the torture and persecution, they refused. Why? Because these heroic saints knew by faith that they were called to suffer for Christ. They understood by faith that their ministry was a higher priority than their personal comfort. So they persevered through the dangers and persecutions, knowing that they would obtain a better resurrection. It says in Hebrews 11, verse 35, in other words, They knew the rewards which are stored up in heaven are greater for those who faithfully refuse to compromise one's calling and ministry. The rewards stored up in heaven are greater for those who refuse to compromise one's calling and ministry. They didn't want to be like Demas, the man who abandoned his ministry, the ministry that was entrusted to him because he loved this present world. Because he loved his comfort and the things of this world more than he prioritized the treasures which are stored up in heaven for the faithful. Brothers and sisters, each of us should have the mindset of those faithful saints who refused to abandon the ministry that was entrusted to them. If fleeing danger and persecution causes you to compromise your calling and ministry, then don't flee. By faith, endure the chains of imprisonment. Suffer the reproach of Christ. Persevere through the torment, affliction, and destitution. Don't fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. Let them saw you in two because you will obtain a better resurrection from the Lord. And the sixth principle in our sermon text is not so much about how to know when it's right to flee, but more of a general principle that applies to walking by faith according to the promises of the Lord. And this can be done whether you're staying put or fleeing. This is a principle that applies to all the above. It's It's a general principle that applies to walking by faith According to the promises of the Lord. And we see this principle in verses 19 through 23 of our sermon text. Here, the Lord is providing additional information to Joseph after he has already responded in obedience to the Lord's command. Look at verses 19 through 21. Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. Notice where the Lord told Joseph to go in verse 20. God told Joseph to go to the land of Israel. The land of Israel. So Joseph obeyed the Lord's command. He took his family and began traveling to the land of Israel. Presumably Joseph was heading back to Judea, to the town of Bethlehem, which is where his family was living when God told them to flee to Egypt. But then in verse 22, um, it tells us that Joseph developed a concern about going back to Judea. Uh, He heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea. Archelaus was Herod's son. And while Herod was uh, a very accomplished ruler, albeit a wicked ruler, Archelaus was far less competent than his father was. And yet he was equally wicked to his father. And as is the case with most incompetent rulers, they think that they have something to prove. They think that they have to prove themselves because they know they're incompetent. And so they often try to demonstrate this through an exercise of their power and authority in cruel and brutal ways. This is what Archelaus was doing, and this was concerning to Joseph. Verse 22 says that Joseph was apprehensive about bringing his family back into Judea with such a wicked man ruling over Judea. But realize, God never told Joseph to go back and return to Bethlehem. Nor did God tell Joseph to return to Judea. God merely told Joseph to return to the land of Israel. Israel is much larger than Bethlehem and Judea. Take a look at this map. Uh, From... From up here to down here is Israel, right? This whole region here is Israel. This is Judea. And in Judea is Bethlehem right here. All right now down here is Egypt. So as Joseph and his family are traveling back from Egypt, and it says, uh, I think it was verse 20, that he, that he entered into Israel, he would have been coming into Judea down here, presumably heading to Bethlehem. Judea, as well as Samaria, were governed by Archelaus. But Archelaus did not govern Galilee. Archelaus did not govern Decapolis or Perea. Archelaus was only governing Judea and Samaria. And yet, when Joseph came in to Judea, he understood that Archelaus was was ruling over this region, and he was concerned about that. And so the Lord spoke to Joseph a third time in our sermon text, telling Joseph to turn aside to the region of Galilee up here. So Joseph coming from Egypt, heading somewhere into Judea, probably Bethlehem. And as this concern is weighing on his heart, God gives him more information God says, Joseph, turn aside, go up to Galilee. It's not as if the Lord was surprised to learn that wicked Archelaus was ruling over Judea. And it's not as if the Lord didn't know earlier in the sermon text that he was gonna direct Joseph to Galilee. It's simply the case that God first gave Joseph general information and only later gave him more specific information. So here's the principle we derive from this. When you're walking in obedience to the Lord's will, he will continue to guide you into a better understanding of his will. When you're walking in accordance with the Lord's will, he will continue to guide you into a better understanding of his will. In Joseph's case, the Lord told him to go into Israel, and when Joseph acted in In obedience to that command, the Lord was pleased to provide Joseph with additional details, the details about going up into Galilee. And once Joseph got into Galilee, he quite naturally settled in Nazareth, which is the city where he and Mary had formerly lived. It's where they met, it's where they had formerly lived, and it's where they had many friends. Brothers and sisters, God calls us to walk by faith, not by sight, This is why the Lord frequently withholds details from us until the time we need those details. And this is sanctifying for us because it requires us to trust that the Lord knows what is good for us, that he knows what he's doing. Uh, It requires us to trust that the Lord knows where he's taking us and that the Lord knows how he's gonna provide for us. And I say that this is sanctifying for us because we are people who prefer to walk by sight, we like to know all the details before we take the first step of obedience. We want to know how it's all going to work out so we can have the confidence of knowing that it will work out. But God doesn't often give us that information in the beginning. Instead, he requires us to trust him. He requires us to walk a mile in order to see a mile. Let me give you an example of this from my own personal life. Prior to our children being born, Vicki and I were just barely meeting our financial obligations. We were trusting the Lord to provide for our needs and he was doing that. He was faithful to his promise. But I was concerned that if we started having children, then we wouldn't be able to meet our financial obligations. We were just barely able to make it without any children in the home. So I was thinking, how can we afford uh, uh, the additional expenses that come with having children? Well, the problem with my way of thinking is that I was looking at what the Lord was faithfully providing for the two of us, and I was wondering how that would be sufficient if there were three of us. Do you see the problem with how I was thinking? I knew that Philippians 4 verse 19 says that God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That's the promise. And he was, and God was faithfully doing that in my life. But I was looking for the Lord to begin providing for my additional needs before I had additional needs. I was looking for the Lord to provide for the needs of a child before I had a child. And that was my lack of faith. Because if I believed the Lord wanted to bless me with children, then I should have also believed that he would increase his provision to my family as those needs became increasingly, uh, as those needs arose. And had I been walking in greater faith, I would have been much quicker to say, I'm gonna trust that when the Lord blesses me with children, the Lord will also bless me with additional financial provision. But because my flesh prefers to walk by sight, I was saying to myself, I need God to increase my financial provision to me, and then I can bring children into this family. Brothers and sisters, God rarely gives us all the details that we, that we desire, that we want, that we yearn for from the beginning of our journey. God rarely does that even though he knew that he was going to send Joseph to Galilee, he didn't share that information with Joseph until Joseph had left Egypt and arrived arrived in Judea. That's when the Lord said, okay, now turn and go to Galilee. Walking by faith requires us to trust that the Lord will provide at the time of our needs. And this is confirming for us we see this principle, when we see this principle operating in our life, it's confirming for us because it lets us know that we are where the Lord wants us to be. If God merely said to Joseph, now go back to Israel, and Joseph went back to Judea and lived in terror of what Archelaus might do, then Joseph might begin to doubt the Lord. He might be saying to himself, God told me to leave Egypt and go back to Judea because, or go back to Israel because Herod was uh, dead. Uh, but now, now that I'm back in Judea, Archelaus is here. Uh, does God really know what he's doing? I mean, how is this? How's my family any safer now than what we would have been under Herod's evil rule? But when God said to Joseph, Good. You obeyed me by returning to Israel. Now I want you to continue up north and go to Galilee. That's the safe place I have in store for you. Joseph can then rest in confidence of knowing that he is right where God wants him to be. He's receiving additional confirmations from the Lord as he progresses in obedience to following the Lord's will. And God continues to actively guide him, responding to Joseph's needs as they develop. The same rule is the same thing the same principle is true for you and me brothers and sisters. God is actively guiding us through our daily walk. Through his spirit he guides us into all truth. Through his spirit he gives us understanding of his word. And through his spirit he makes known to us his commandments as well as the biblical principles by which we can know and do his will. As Philippians 2:13 puts it, It's God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And this working in you is confirming. When we see God working in us to will and to do for his good pleasure, it's confirming that we are where the Lord wants us to be. Conversely, if we are not sensing this, it it gives us an awareness that we are outside the will of God. Some course corrections need to be made. The confirmation that God provides when he continues to pour into your life the very things you need at the time you need them, this confirmation will increase your faith when you're fleeing from danger and persecution. And this confirmation will also increase your faith when you're staying put to persevere through danger and persecution. This confirmation will increase your faith when you're refusing to let fear have dominion over you when you're willing to suffer for the sake of Christ, when you're loving the saints the way you ought to love the saints, thereby doing the difficult work on behalf of the saints when you're refusing to abandon the ministry work god has called you to and when you're seeking to obtain a better resurrection through faithful obedience to the lord's will this will be confirming for you brothers and sisters it will be inspiring it will grow you it will grow and increase your faith and you will have the confidence of knowing that you are walking in the will of the lord amen let's pray mm-hmm. This has been a presentation of Redeemer Presbyterian Church. For more resources and information, please stop by our website at visitredeemer.org. All material here within, unless otherwise noted, copyright Redeemer Presbyterian Church, Elk Grove, California. Music furnished by Nathan Clark George, available at nathanclarkgeorge.com.